God, art is revolution to me. Uh, it's all about revolution. It's all about the beauty of change. It's about looking at yourself. It's about providing utility to be born again in the same space all the time. It's about action. Sometimes it's about laying down and just taking that moment. But it is all to me about revolution and change and beauty and peace. <laughs> like that's what art is to me. Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group where you get notified of fresh episode drops. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support me on Patreon. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today... Uh, I've got a really awesome human being here who uh, who I became aware of through a good friend of mine's podcast. So, and I heard her speak. I was like, yes, she's perfect. Let's get her on the Art and Life podcast. So um, this person is a creative systems designer. She has a master's in integrative design, integrated design uh, from the University of Michigan. While in school, she won the prestigious MLK Spirit Award and was named one of the top 50 designers in the country by Graphic Design USA. So, Kisa Johnson, thanks for being here. Oh, yes, yes. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we talked for just a minute there and you started going into, um, you know, the title that you hold and, you know, how much creativity is involved in what you do. And it's really cool. I, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation to have. So why don't we just start with like, what would you say is like the most important work that you're doing right now? Like what, what has you really fired up? Um, I think everything I do fires me up. Like I, I made a choice, you know, before I started my master's degree program that I was going to only work within organizational structures and community structures that, um, well, we had like our ide ideologies are pretty much similar, like-minded because I feel like the African and indigenous perspective isn't seen or isn't, um, realized, a lot in our everyday life and so everything I do it up to this point is extremely important in shaping and changing uh the food system in a creative yeah. way so everything I do is pretty much important to me and it's also imp important to my stakeholders constituents and community members that I choose to serve and um work for and I've been blessed with the honor of like uh, representing the food system it was like a choice I kind of fell into it because I've been um a techie and art like I've been more between art and science a lot in my life and design kind of just kind of bloomed within me and so I kind of look at things from that trajectory from like art science and design and um I just thought it would be best to find a program that kind of matched my personality in how I kind of like move and function. And so I was lucky, you know, I, I applied to different MDES. MDES is like a very specific type of degree. It's like how you look at like wicked problems and wicked systems within the space that we live in. It's specifically like not just global, but Western context because Western um, systems influence a lot of the global trajectory um that's going on and so I wanted to be a different type of designer I found a different type of program and um it was tough as hell but I'm here and I'm here serving black and brown farmers across the nation and the world and black and brown people yeah awesome and so uh there's it's cool in your first statement there's so much there um <laughs> one thing that I that stood out to me um in Ben's interview of you uh and ben let me just put this out there ben is way smarter than i am so he's gonna be he he, he i love how uh, i love your your podcast interview with him uh, <laughs> i'm gonna try to do my best here but oh, one thing that stood out was the concept of the wicked problem and then the other thing that stood out was uh you talked about oppression through food and it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is inequity um you know across people so uh maybe go into that and talk about like what the problem is and how it works and like what, what we're dealing with. Well, I mean, uh, the problem is that within Western culture, because we come from very different value systems, me being an African and indigenous woman. And I'm just, I just, I'm just so happily located in North America, but I'm located here for a reason in, in, in a space. And I know like the more work I do, the more I see it. 
Um, but Wigan problems are created. I mean, it's due to the global, like extractive, oppressive, ableism, patriarchal, imperialistic, colonial system, even capitalist, you know, like how we look at how we make our money. We're embedded it within these like spaces where it's kind of hard to actually see a way out <laughs> because everything is wicked about it. Everything um like marginalizes the creativity it marginalizes creativity because it looks at race and race really isn't real it's a social construct and um it's based to to form like more of a hierarchy um within our social spaces um but what it really does at the end of the day it it marginalizes the creativity the creative output that can change spaces to be actually more healthy, more productive, more balanced in a lot of ways because we're extracting the natural properties um, from the ecological space and we're making it like monolithic and making it like one way and all this toxic consumption due to industrialism, like all this stuff gets layered and there's no such thing as one solution because you're you're wrapped up in this sticky yarn of where like when you're trying to move levers and stuff like that, sometimes it causes more harm sometimes than good because you can't, we're not taught to look at root problems. We're taught to, you know, do things very quickly. And um, we don't want to look at the historical values of like why a problem is a problem. We don't pull the root out to see so we don't have to re- repeat it again we just constantly repeat it because we only looking for one solution but in the world that we live in there's multiple solutions and you got to hit it multiple ways and so you have to have a a, a a real creative mind and creativity is um I mean it's just kind of looking within your constraints of living a certain way and making a healthy sustainable way <laughs> to actually live like you know, centuries ago, like even if you look at craftspeople, where craftspeople look like are pretty much at the center of creativity, they created things to live a better way. They didn't create things to destroy everything. They created things just so we could kind of like, we can live a good life. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to enforce, like, I don't want to eat this way, but maybe we should invent this and maybe we should eat it this way or maybe we should beautify our space because it allows us to feel this way so we can be able to do the things that we need to do like all these like inventions that maybe are not in mainstream were created to create a better way of life <laughs> but that's not how mainstream um circular or popular culture uh looks at living in your life it looks at like we have to like consume we're in this toxic consumption loop which is a negative uh looping and not a positive looping for everybody in the planet <laughs> we're just taught to be consumers of everything that we touch and do instead of looking at it like well how does it benefit the person next to me and how does it benefit myself and so yeah I'm kind of like nerdy in that way because I look at nature and technology in a much different way than what the textbook would say like they would really would say like the technology we're using like the Zoom or, you know, the computer, that's the technology. But I rather say that the technology is really the idea behind and the concept and how we come up and how we create the things to be able to solve the problems that we need. I just look at it 
um, from a very ecological perspective. Okay, yeah. And so then, uh, and then you tie together farming with the, with societal problems and solutions. Is that right? Yeah, when, um, when I was presented the opportunity to study about wicked problems, like about specifically equity and access in food systems, I had to think a little bit deeper and not just dive in from like a universe university perspective. I had to look at like, well, if agriculture is, I mean, it's all about civilization, like how we eat and how we produce food. Um, it's the first economy and it, it it established what a civilized economy like is about like the food production. I had to look at farmers. I had to look at them because they're like, they're like the first designers of the world. Like that's how we eat and that's how we live and what they do. It affects the climate um, around your community. Like when they say hyper local food systems is much deeper than um, just like, Oh, we're going to create a food hub or a CSA or, you know, um, we're choosing to grow and we're choosing to grow a certain way to make sure that our environment is solid. And people are solid. Uh, we grow because it's um, it's a such sort of pride thing where I can grow and sustain myself and I'm not. Uh, I'm not depending on other people for my substance and how I um, live as a human being. So food is extremely important. It touches every faucet. Like it touches law, it touches reproductive health. Um, it touches education. It touches everything because it's the first economy. Right. That's how money is made. It's made off of agriculture. <laughs> right, right. So you were looking at like the bigger societal problems that were affecting black and brown communities and what you saw like that was a place where you really zeroed in on was food and agriculture yeah because it's the future yeah it's the future wherever we choose to stop or where we choose to stand um and i've heard about food deserts like oh yeah that's not a good word yeah (laughs) no not at all and it's like but that that speaks to that inequity, right? Um, yeah, because it's really food apartheid. It's it like the government creates food deserts. Like their definition of food deserts, which has a lot to do with the location of a community to a grocery store, which grocery store is a lot. If you look in our society at, in 2022, um, it has a lot to do with corporations. And so like taking a step back, we got to look at the circle of human concern within any individual space or any community, the circle of human concern should encompasses, you know, the plants, the soil, hell, the sea, the people, you know, but it's not, it's, it's full of corporations. And so when you look at, if you're labeling neighborhoods by zip codes, because it, death by zip code is real, it's because the government set how these neighborhoods are like, redlined or sourced and what uh resources they get and also the local people it's their responsibility to make sure that every zip code within their community is served properly 
they put corporations at the center to make those decisions for the people and we're losing sight um, of like do we actually live in democracy we don't and so like food production is number one of that um where a grocery store is centered like they vote they vote on that through the city government and they can say like we don't want the 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 you know the corporations to say we don't want to serve these people in this zip code so we're gonna put the grocery store over here so it becomes a food desert by choice by vote by design it just is it's just inevitable you know that's right. just how the system works that's how the system is where it you know it works to extract and it works um exactly how it was designed is works to oppress you know creative spaces yeah and there's i mean there's it seems like like the democracy and um the social responsibility is sort of at odds with the capitalistic nature of the corporate mindset and you know the bottom line at the end of the day is a profit it's not like taking care of people and making sure that people are taken care of at all it's no that's corporations care about dividends and bottom lines and stocks and money they do not care about people Yeah. yeah and so then your so then your job, your goal, your aim is to like go at these problems. And and just to finalize it, like a wicked problem is a, wic- a wicked problem is something that's like kind of like spider webbed in. There's lots of different elements that are pulling on the same thing. Is that oh, or, they, or is a wicked they, problem like an evil problem? Like, <laughs> like where there's like negative uh, energy. Oh, I always see that. I always say this. Wicked thoughts, wicked problems, wicked systems. All right. <laughs> That's all I, I tell people because, you know, there's like 10 parameters if you look at what a wicked problem is. And it's based upon like, you know, so, um, it's based off of planning science, which has a lot to do with military, um, how, how you function within a military perspective. You know, like there's pretty much no definite formulation or solution like uh it's always labeled like a big huge word that's hard to break down um it's hard sometimes and pretty much impossible to measure or claim success within it it the solutions can only be as good or bad not true or false it it is it there's no template to follow there's always like one explanation and you're like wait a minute that one explanation can be broken down because you got to look at the root um but that's how it works um when you talk about a wicked problem is always a symptom of something much deeper than what it is <laughs> and the like how you mitigate it and how you look at it um it has no definite like scientific test because humans invented it these are human problems these are human th- this is not the environment these are human-led problems like when you look at design design is all about human activity and people created this stuff over centuries over like over time and othering is always a solution they always trying to other shit within we could probably here's the others here's the marginalized people here's the the people who don't have this like it's always this deficit when you're talking about the wicked problems and every wicked problem is unique and designers who try to attempt 
the problem, like with the Rick of problems, they got to be fully responsible for the actions when they come into the space. And I understand that. Like, I understand that, you know, like I might make a mistake, but that's a lot of times why I like to prototype solutions out and not put pilot projects out. I just be like, let's prototype it a little bit it, before we put it out there because we, we got to think up, think about the, the ramifications and the damage that we can cause if we not like containing a solution but everybody wants things real quickly and right now and it's one thing but when i work in spaces it takes like pretty much years uh to rectify or redesign uh the solution it's not a six month thing or a three month thing or a two month thing or even a month thing it takes pretty much years to kind of get it to push um the way that you need it to do because it's so wicked yeah so <laughs> yeah i would imagine that i mean everything you're dealing with is um is like layers and layers deep and, yeah um so what are some some projects that you're working on these days and what are the what are the aims oh yeah okay so one project i was about to get off of it but i was like let me stick it out you know they wanted me to kind of because the people who consulted with me they wanted me to keep going because they just scratched layer a little bit because again it takes about it, it could take up to like one and a half to three years to actually see change and a lot of people aren't <laughs> aren't built like that they want it now they want it like fast food they want it now yeah. they want it today you know and i'm like okay but yeah that's really not gonna work that's gonna cover a symptom but the problem's still gonna be there but so like one of uh, one projects that I'm working on is like um the Washington Black Farmers Fund in um in the state of Michigan is one of three black farmers funds that is about a coalition of community members who are coming together um to work on uh uh the rematriation of land access within the state um because it's very different per city the city that I work within, um, the county that I work within is Washtenaw, which is one of the richest uh, uh, counties um, in the state. It's probably like the third. Um, and so they're well known to be a very educational, you know, educate, they're very educated, but there are land access issues that even like as a renter or if you're getting out from being incarcerated, like, there's issues that need to be addressed when we're, when you're trying to look at like what land means. And so I'm really excited about being a part of this coalition with like five different organizations who are like combating it. Like we gave out over $150,000 um, in our first round and we got $50,000 more to give out as many grants. And we're doing that like today, but it's kind of hard, like, because I'm like, facilitating a design process with the coalition which which is part of the coalition which is a strong thing because we could we can advocate for that within the state instead of being just an organizational body is like it's multiple organizations it's multiple people for saying like this is what we're advocating for for the state of michigan to push and make sure that you know this does not happen and so like one example is like there's an apple orchard in the city of Ypsilanti. It was once run by uh, like a Wyatt 
the like total white nonprofit staff, they were like, this is wrong. We should not own this land. The people who look like the people who live in the community should own this land, not us. And so what they did was they practiced some form of um, restorative economics where they gave it to a different black organization who applied for the Black Farmers Fund and said that we need help. Um, we want to take over the orchard. We know a little bit, but we need help. And so we stepped in and provided them the funding to be able to transfer the ownership and also give them a nonprofit leadership uh, uh, training and also training within how, you know, like uh, I've been a farm manager for like three and a half years. So I know how to grow specific like fruit and stuff like that, especially like apple trees and uh, pears and kiwi. And so we provided them support to be able to take over the ownership of it. And, you know, the white organization said, you know, like to me, that's a very good example of, you know, equity being practiced, actually. Um, giving the land back to the people that looks <laughs> like the people in the community. And I was like very happy to be able to lead uh, a project like that. Um, I also, I'm working with the Center for Regional, the MSU Center for Regional Food Systems, where they do large scale uh, projects. And so I work with an advisory committee where we're looking at how to create a theory of change for all the regional uh, food systems and how to embed like care into policy work. Like, how does that work? And so I'm here giving them the tools and there are many African and indigenous tools. That's what I choose to work within to help them understand about the importance of like, you know, because our value systems are different. Like we need new tools to be able to kind of look at these projects that we're working on to make sure that we're connecting it to the community and not to the corporations and pushing policy more so using language that has care in it because before it's causing harm and pain <laughs> to other people and even removing a lot of the world box when it comes to administrative um, access to grants for um, Michigan local food policy councils to be able to push that stuff. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> and I worked on a variety of other projects, like I'm an equity um, designer for the Ross Business School. And so I'm excited about teaching equitable prototyping workshops, having them have, ask questions to themselves when they're prototyping solutions out. Like before you push this out to a pilot, won't you play it out, play around with it a little bit? play around with the people who it's going to actually affect and also pay them to be a part of the experience. Okay. <laughs> get the feedback before you push it out because you don't know everything and they know the need. They have principles and they have solutions. And that's as a designer, you know, that's your charge. Your charge isn't to be ego driven. It isn't to be like, I have the solution. No, your charge is to be a servant to the people that you choose to serve, you know, and you listen to the need, you listen to the solution, you listen to their principles and you amplify and galvanize that as you push them through the, um, you know, the design process. I'm a little bit different in my ways because I want those designers to actually like to implement the stuff we come up with. I don't just design it. I like to see it through also, in various capacities sometimes I got to pull back 
sometimes you got to let go. But <laughs> uh, a lot of times I like to come up with the designs, work with them specifically also with the strategy. And I like to get people to the finish line. So I do that, you know, with the Ross Business School. I do that with We the People Opportunity Farm. I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping off of that. And then I'm about to go into a very different project where I'm working with like a lot of advisory councils who don't know what to do within their organizations. And so like, I kind of go between like very like on the ground, like working with black farmers or brown farmers. And then I go into these very systematic spaces where I'm leading the design process with advisory councils or networks of people who are trying to like solve solutions. So, yeah. Cool. It's, it's kind of, I guess uh, the metaphor that I'm thinking about is you're kind of like, like a coach and a player and then also like a general manager at different times. And so you're like um, helping produce the project at the higher level. You're helping, um, you know, design the general approach you're seeing the timelines you, you know, and then, and with your experience, you're able to say like, we should do this or we should do that. And then you go to the ground level and you help get things set up and going. Yeah. It, it like what it does, like I, I always work, I always work with a grower or, or like groups of people who actually grow um, food in some kind of way. Um, that keeps me grounded <laughs> and it keeps me happy. It makes me, um, it makes me feel more human to be able to put my feet into the ground or even when, you know, I'm in my space, whether I'm putting my hands in some soil, like it just keeps me grounded from a lot of things. Yeah. It's gardening and growing and just like working with dirt. It just feels, I, I feel like it, it puts you into a flow state that, is just so like I don't know essential or like so you know it's you can just feel like this is what we've all been doing for like thousands and thousands of years as human beings e ecology is beautiful like it's a whole nother world in the soil yeah it's just a whole different world and I just be like laughing because you know I, I talk to people like I deal with a lot more stuff at once when I'm working outside than I do at my desk. Like, but when I'm at my desk, I'm dealing with a different type of ecosystem, you know, right? Yeah. Cause you got all these neural networks happening. Um, between the websites you're hitting and all those types, you know. Um, but for me, um, I like the fact that I was able to, you know, work outside for years and still do. Um, cause I just feel like it provides me a different, like grounding in space, maybe from my, like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's from my lineage lineage too, and my DNA and stuff like that. Like, um, there's creativity always happening. And what people don't quite understand is that what it, the problem is that the creativity is being marginalized across the board. <laughs> You're only seeing certain solutions. Like, even when you think about people who are geniuses, you don't look at Black women as a genius. You look at a white man. They be like, oh, he's a genius. Or like, you know, Kanye, oh, he's a genius. Could be crazy as all get out. But if me as a Black woman, I come in, I'd be like, oh, no, that's not accurate. 
And then I'll just tell you certain things and I'll talk and I'll ask equity questions. I'm not a genius though. I'm a problem. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Be yeah, a genius. That. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just smart. Like, I'm just like, well, I don't get it. Like, and so like, I, I really feel like the underlying issue about everything is that the create the creative solutions are being mar marginalized. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, you know, what is genius? What is like creativity? What is like, I, I what you, it was cool that you just said, um, like putting the net, the neural networks together, because it seems like, like the picture I'm getting of what you do is like, you connect people with solutions, with ideas, while also having like a higher view of it all. And you're looking at the root problems and then the solutions that are actually going to work. So it's like, there's all these connections, which, you know, reminds me of like a brain, you know, there's like right. neural networks happening. And um, yeah, and it's, yeah, society thinks of like the word genius as just this one thing, but uh, it's so much, so much broader than that. How did you, uh, you talked about it a little bit on Ben's podcast, but why don't you tell everyone like how you got into the world of like farming and, um, and all that in the first place? Oh man, it was so funny because like I had to look at my life overall, but uh I've been growing in, in like cultivating and nurturing um plants and food and people for quite a long time. Like I can remember like when I was five, and I think I talk about this, like my grandma my on my mom's side, like she would grow things in the backyard and I thought it was weird because my my grandfather he worked on cars and he had cars and stuff in the back but she had this spot where she had a medicinal garden it was like very specific it was a medicinal garden it was for like certain herbs and produce that was used for like soups and serums and what she would do is she had me with my little white sweater on and my little red water wagon taking all these brown paper bags with her little remedies or she would give the garlic with the onion that she grew um she would give certain things and she would put it in things but it was my responsibility to go out and um sometimes it was money or sometimes it was other like produce things and I just have it in my wagon and I would like carry it back <laughs> and also like at night around the evening time after dinner her door would always be open and certain people in the community would come in here and a lot of how the community issues got solved was at her table you know and I didn't quite understand that until I started getting a little older and I would like you know take gardening classes or um, master gardening classes I would have plots in the back of my yard or like within the community settings I would um and I was a techie by day but, you know, at night I would like, or in the morning I would be growing or I would like uh, serve as like a board nonprofit and they had like food systems connected to it. So it was always right there. But when I was working in IIT for so long and I mainly worked between like government and I did a lot of dot com, you know, back in the day, like dot com spaces, um, and I worked in um, educational settings a lot within their IT departments. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to push myself 
and I became like a learning designer, but I was still in IT spaces. I wanted to push myself a little bit. And so I wanted to find a program that matched, you know, like what kind of designer I wanted to be. And it was kind of hard because traditional designers are like, you know, graphic designers, industrial designers, and they get taught a whole different type of way on how to look at problem solving than what I had to go through. I looked at it from that macro, that systems, that global systems level. Um, it wasn't just about like the colors I chose to use or the, you know, the form of the utility of the, you know, the, uh, you know, schematics I was producing. It was more so about like looking at systematic problems and looking at the root cause analysis and, and having my own analysis tools to create, to be able to scan the area, to see what the problems was and be able to go through down there deeper to be able to do that deep, deep analysis to say like, oh, here's the problems. And well, how do you attack it? You could attack it this way or you could attack it five ways. It wasn't just one way. Like one way is old design. I create a chair. It'll ease this back element, but it might not ease the other five ones. You know, like um, it wasn't um like ego-driven design, um, about like what the good eye is. It was more so about like, no, nah, we live in a pro we live in a system, we got numerous problems, and designers have to step up to the plate and they have to change all this breaking that's happening in the world and how do you work across disciplines to lead the design process to get us there that's the type of designer that I went to, that I wanted to be and I found it at U of M it was pretty much an open curriculum where they taught me a lot of things I chose to work with um Ron Ron Eglish he is amazing he was the only advisor at that point where he understood about looking at things from an African and indigenous perspective. So he taught me a lot about uh, generative uh, design and, you know, its origins was from African design. And he taught me a lot about like how to do positive feedback looping within systems based upon symbols um, how I chose to embed the values within the space when I'm like doing strategy and how to test it. I learned a lot about that. And I learned a lot, a hell of a lot from his wife, which is Audrey Bennett, about how to, to do design research behind it. And design research was me asking questions to the people that I was like, not only to myself, but the people that I was working with. And so I kind of came out kick-ass. <laughs> 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 like, uh, ready to go, and I haven't stopped since. I'm still going. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> I got, I, I, like, they, they, that was, like, that MDAS designation ain't no joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we not no joke. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's cool. It, I'm, I'm kind of speechless about it. It's like such a big societal um, wicked problem that you're, you're going after and you're doing it like, you know, you're, you're finding solutions along the way. And it's these long-term situations that you're setting up that are going to be helping into the future. And you're identifying 
major problems and the roots of them and then um like going after real solutions yeah and like when i was working under you know with ron eglish like when he speaks about generative justice it gave me an alternate view about like economic theory like how economics plays a big part within building a civilization like and that's what food does it helps um establish what um civilizations feed off of for like years at a time or how things migrate and looking at it from an economic perspective changed me completely because I did not I, I just kind of came from like you know the art you know the artistic that like but there's some economic um liberation that needs to come and it will come and so that's what I think like general justice helped me out with wow yeah wow yeah then like it's cool you know what that is like looking at it from an economics perspective you're you're looking at the whole problem before you were looking at design, which is, you know, maybe it's like a little more superficial layered, but then you look at the economics of something and that's where you really, you know, you can look at, that's where you really see what's going on. You can really get a good picture of like, oh, this is what's actually happening. And maybe on the surface, it looks like it's equal, but it's definitely not. And this is. Yes. Yeah. It brings that it brings the like whole thing about symbolism because we try to detach symbolism um, from how we live, but everything is based upon symbols, you know? Talk <laughs> you about, just, go into that a little bit. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, even when you look at the dollar, you know, there, that's a symbol to us, right? That's a status symbol. It's needed. We use it to function. Um, but you know, if you look at the imagery that's attached to it and how it makes you feel like there's other, other symbols in the world, when it comes to like values, like the Indinkra symbols, when it comes to West African, like if I showed you several Indinkra symbols and it's over 65 plus, you would resonate with some of them and you'd be like that, 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 that one. And then I'll say, look up the meaning to them. And then you'd be like, oh my God. That's what I stand for. Like, you don't, you ain't up, you probably in your mind somewhere, some of them you probably have seen before, but they resonate with you because they're part of you in some kind of way. And we don't get that deep in, into it because um, there's a there's certain level of cosmology when it talks about the relationship to the divine that we don't like to speak about the spirituality about the world that we live in. So we're not taught to look at those things like that. We taught to run from them in school, in higher education. Right. Wow. This is, uh, this is awesome. I'm enjoying uh, Thanks for being on here. This is great. I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, are you ready? We got to switch gears at this point to the question section. And I okay. I didn't tell you any of the questions because I wanted it to be, uh, you know, off the cuff. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, question number one is, what is your advice to aspiring creatives? Creative, I use the word with a capital C, meaning anyone who is, you know, creative in their approach to whatever this can be 
you know, from design to music, to theater, to art, to uh, anything creative. What's your advice to aspiring creatives? Love yourself. Cause you don't love yourself. You can't love other people and you can't give your love properly um, within your gift. And a lot of times, you know, like loving ourselves seems very self X like, like that shouldn't be easy. No, 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 no. We've, I have not been taught to love ourselves in compulsory education from K through 12 <laughs> to wherever we go. So like, if you don't love yourself, what you do is you, re you, you recreate the harm that you were taught. And so as a designer, that's re that's the reason why we ask designerly questions to ourselves because we're, ex we're questioning the biases and the assumptions that we've been taught and that we see, and we got to put it on the table and you got to challenge yourself through that. And that's how you get to the end. That's how you see a new world. That's how you go from one reality to another. You got to go through the creative friction of loving you and, and standing on what you believe. And you can do it because it's already in you. It's just a lot of times we just living in a fucking society that tries to like extract it out of us till there's no more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes love it that's great because being a creative there's so much time that you spend in a space of like uncertainty and I feel like if if you're loving yourself then you're you're almost like being your own best friend through that uncertainty through the darkness where you're like I don't know if this is going to work or not and all you you know if all you hear is the negativity and the the naysayers that are always present you know and like like you said through um schooling and everything and society then it's gonna crush you whereas uh yeah love yourself i love that um okay great uh question two what do you what would you like life to be like in five years you can wave oh. a magic wand and have anything happen that you want to have happen I will have um, homes in three different spaces. One of them that's in America. Um, I will be sitting on my porch, having one of my daughters come ask me, look at a projection sheet while I'm looking at some little kids who are learning about how to grow outside my front porch. And I'm like, yeah, this is it, you know? being able to like be exactly who I am in all the things that I've done to be able to pass it on to not only my lineage, but also those yet unborn. And then paying homage to those that are like, you know, to my ancestors who like are fighting in this every single day and waking up just to want to be free and liberated from like press of stuff. I want to be able to sit on the porch while my children are embedded into the legacy that I'm laying right now and to be able to see the future generation participating in it too. So I'm okay with sitting on my front porch, being able to travel to Cuba or Africa and my other places or the Caymans, you know, like someplace where I can grow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> And being able to see, you know, things um, repeat in a healthy, sustainable way. 
Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's a nice vision. Um, question three is, have you seen or experienced your work affect a person or the world on a deep level? Tell us about it. I have. Oh my God, I have. Ooh, um, I was working on a grocery store pilot for um for senior communities, but again, you know, I like to prototype stuff off before I push it out to work out the kinks. Yeah, um, I was working with an right. organization, and we did the pilot in one space, like, and we were doing it multiple ways to see like how it could work. And so when it was like maybe like 20 people we used for the pilot and they all were so sweet, but they would tell me everything was going on with them. And I listened because, you know, our senior people, they don't, you know, like when we talk about pe like older people using technology, it's typically more of the well-off um, elders who can, you know, participate in that. And, but some are, our, you know, our other elders, you know they've been through life and they have like a lot of mental health issues or like physical problems or money problems and so like one of them from that space she talked to me about an hour and I listened and she was like you always talk to us like I talked to a couple of people they say you always talk because I feel like holding space and bearing witness is like one of the best technology tools we can use to just listen not try to listen to respond for an answer or solution just listen and they were telling me that they talked about me to other people and they really want this to work there's other people that they want this to carry on because they could actually call in their order and they don't have to use their screen because sometimes their screen is broke but just like hearing that I was helping and I didn't I didn't know you know, like I assumed based upon like what I was gathering and stuff like that, but she, you know, she was sharing with me like this does like this, like she hasn't been in contact with people for like months because of COVID because they shut down the buses. He did a lot of stuff to our seniors that we don't quite understand. And there's ramifications to that. It, it revibrates out into the universe in a lot of ways when we cause harm um, to the earth. It because when we say the earth like you can't discount the people from the earth and the earth from the people you can't do that and so like knowing that somebody like thought that much about me to say that I changed them and like you know gave them something that they hadn't had I felt like I was like that was more than enough of what I was doing to be able to say like you know, I'm helping a whole entire community that I don't, you know, I don't live in the space, but it changed them in a different way. And then it also made them become an advocate. Like it wasn't just on me anymore. They knew it was on them to be advocates for their spaces. And they said, you know, she was just like, you helped me see that we have to advocate for something better for ourselves and you gave us the tools and I appreciate you that was enough for me oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that <was. laughs> that's like that's great because I'm sure it's a ton of hard work all the time you know on your end like hours and hours and hours that go unaccounted for I'm sure and like just 
so much set up and I'm sure there's a lot of times where it's that friction that creative friction but then there's those moments when you get to hear something like that that's yeah, awesome yeah because people don't get it you gotta go through the creative friction if you're trying to get from one reality to the next cool uh, that's beautiful uh, okay now question four this is the big one this what is your definition of art Oh my God, art is revolution to me. Uh, it's all about revolution. It's all about the beauty of um change. Um, it's about looking at yourself. Um, it's it's about providing utility to be born again in the same space all the time. It's about action. Sometimes it's about laying down and just taking that moment. But it is all to me about revolution and change and beauty and peace. <laughs> like that's what art is to me. Yeah. Cause I, I like, I do. I feel like what I do is art to me. Like, but it's not just my art. It's like, like how we breathe and how we live and how we, get things to other people like I feel like I feel like that's my art you know and then and then also the narrative that changes and shifts sometimes I, I tell people I call myself a narrative artist because um your deficit thinking does not define anything about me and who my people are you know we we're beautiful people and we're here to live an abundant life regardless of like how you were taught how you were structured and I'm here to be that voice for that <laughs> so I find like I feel like the work that I do is like pretty artistic absolutely yeah I like that the concept of the narrative artist because narratives are just written by people and the narrative has been written by certain people and they're in that narrative there's you know, positives and negatives, winners and losers, and, and it's bullshit. And so it needs to be rewritten and re-explained because the people that wrote the narrative in the past are from the past and they didn't they didn't know what was going on. And, and they didn't understand the big picture. The, yeah. And they didn't understand the cosmology and the praxis and the ontology and the epistemology behind storytelling. Like, um, you know, you got to understand why stories were told, you know, like it wasn't always about something written. It was, uh, it was always about the stories that were passed on um, and how that changes you. You know, like even when I decided to do, um, to relearn that, you know, like I said, I was not going to use anybody else's solutions i was going to use african or indigenous solutions like that was a big thing to do and it was a hard thing to do but it was so worth it because i started hearing different stories i started hearing about you know um my ancestors within you know the story of Ashun in the fourth dimension and how he was a creative soul and how they come you know these creative souls come in and they pushed the boundaries and the limits of the spaces and they were there 
to do a job and for a reason. And so like, I hear those stories. I am those stories. Like I'm not yours. Like I am something different. And I want those stories told in the right, proper manner and fashion <laughs> and not of somebody else's deficit thinking. Totally. And there's so much wisdom in those stories. And if you look at the current narrative and, you know, the existing narrative and a lot of the intentions behind the narrative writers of the current paradigm we're in, it's like, you can see why we're getting to the problem situations with like monocrop farming and big ag and the, just the capitalistic nature of the whole system right now it's like it's not good for the ground level people and if it's not good for the ground level it's not going to be like the whole entire thing is just a house of cards that's waiting to fall no no yeah because all of the stuff like it's centuries of stories like even when you know you talked about the food deserts i was like do they understand what deserts are and how they're formed and the beauty in deserts but the way you're using that definition is like there's no beauty in it you know like i worked you know i studied under any colleges and i'm just like how dare you use that word that way when you're creating these man-made conditions that are harmful towards other human beings so what's your definition of human like i always ask people like you talk about humanity and these what what is your definition of humanity i like to know before we talk because we got to be on the same page here because I understand about ecology and I understand about you know different people around the world I don't know everything but I do study and I I am present in this space like don't disregard or insult me in any kind of way because of like your limited knowledge and as if I don't understand how you know what time is and what you know what the universe says or even what the how the ground changes or the wetland changes or the mountains and like it's been systems put in place for years to deal with climate change but yet you're talking about we got problems yeah we got problems because the creativity is marginalized yeah you're not opening it up to all the many solutions that have been here for centuries at a time because you're too busy extracting and not paying homage is slowing it down and making sure because it's about money. It's not about the people or the environment. Like all of this is a setup. Totally. All of this is a setup. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, okay. That yes, nailing it on the head right there. Um okay, we gotta we gotta wind down part one and then uh, we'll come back for part two. Now this is the part of the podcast where I uh, thank mm-hmm. my guest for being on the podcast. And Kisa, you've been so awesome here in this conversation already. And and I just feel like what you're doing with your life and your creativity and your energy and time and focus and uh, wisdom and expertise is just so valuable to uh, our world, to local communities, to the bigger picture, to everything. And um yeah, I just want to honor you that you're doing amazing work in the world. And uh, I'm a huge fan of you. So uh, yeah, cheers to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, 
Is there anywhere that uh, people should follow you or um, is there anything that you would recommend people follow or connect with? Yeah, you could connect with me either on my LinkedIn site or you can go to my Instagram page called Who Is Mawindo. Um, but LinkedIn is pretty, you could get to me like real direct through LinkedIn. Okay, cool. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, okay, cool. Then we're going to take a little break. And before we do, can you give us one more bit of wisdom for the people? Um, it can be about anything. One more wisdom. Uh, please grow food. Just grow something. Grow something in your house. Grow something in your room. Just get in touch with the plants and the atmosphere because it's one. It's it's a part of us. And we haven't been taught it properly, but whatever affects us affects it and whether whatever affects it is affecting you so like you know just grow something love it perfect grow something people all right sweet we'll be right back part two is brought to you by steady state roasting in carlsbad california this place is my favorite coffee shop on the west coast and the coffee is the best they roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at steadystateroasting.com. And we're back. All right, Keisha Johnson, how you doing? I'm good. There we go. <laughs> we were having some technical difficulties there for a second. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're into part two now. Um, let's just get it started off with, uh, I'll just ask you a question. Um, what do you feel like is the most, um, the most pressing issue that we're facing these days um, in terms of like society, world, farming, all the things? Land access, like access to land and what that looks like and, you know, what that looks like to different people. Because um, a lot of times when you look at it from an African indigenous perspective, like they look at being like more stewards to the space. Like it's really not about ownership um, from a Eurocentric perspective. I, I believe it's land and, you know, uh, sovereignty. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely heard. And again, like I'm just a white cisgender male i i don't know a lot i'm like i'm very ignorant to a lot of things so um but i've never so i've heard a lot of native american stuff about you know being a steward to the land and like I've, from what i've learned and i've seen the way that they lived it was much more in harmony with the with the land and with nature and i i just don't know that much about like african lineages and like how things were in Africa, um, but that's awesome to hear. Um, well, yeah, like, it's all interconnected. Like, that's the, that's the thing about, like, how we look at life from a value system, from different people's perspective, like, their, their race, like, the value systems. You know, like, uh, ours are pretty similar, you know, to Native Americans, like, you know, due to the due to the due to because of the melody in our skin, our DNA set up and like what we see is value. But you know, from the Africa. 
African origins, even from Greek mythology that comes from an African space. Like it, it's all like we're all here to give back. We're all here, you know, we're only here for a certain period of time. <laughs> and like, well, what kind of ancestor do you want to be? And so when you talk about that land sovereignty and like what that means and how things are passed down, like how are you good stewards to the space that we're living in right today? And how is that passed on to those that come before you and those who are yet born and those who have lived a lot earlier than you? So like sometimes, you know, when we're working within the space that we are and we're, we're here to be sustainable, we have to look at the historical injustices that happen. We have to look at the scenario that we're dealing with. And we have to go through some healing and we got to address power before we start prototyping these solutions and these ideas out, um, like ideating around them and prototyping them and then testing them and then implementing them out um, to the larger system of folks um, that we're interdependent on. Like nothing is independent. Like we're all interdependent and interconnected and interwoven with one another. So the harm that may be caused on you could you know, it, it could come back and haunt me in a way down the lineage, right? You know, it, 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 it could cause harm and pain, which it has, you know? So, hmm. Absolutely. Land, yeah, land and having that space to be able to properly grow, build, produce, um, do the things that's necessary for your family is extremely important um, in the time that we're living in yeah yeah because then it's giving everybody um more of an equal opportunity for survival without land you can't do anything and then you're just subject to whatever whoever has land whatever they want to do with the land because mm-hmm. like even look at the current housing situation it's ridiculous about the homelessness that is all throughout the united states you don't think that's connected to food. You don't think that's connected to education. You don't think that's connected to the law. It's all connected because it affects us. It affects us all in some sort of way if we're conscious enough to see it. Um, and so, you know, the systematic problems that are, like, being addressed, like, even when I speak to, like, uh, uh, business council, you know, like, business majors, like I teach them how to be advocates for design because they're gonna work with a designer. You gotta be understanding that a designer is there to ask you certain questions about the pitfalls that you're gonna go through when you're pushing out ideas. And you gotta be responsible enough to be a leader in the space to be able to listen and be able to let them questions get asked properly and do the work up front before you push out you know, this possible solution. Yeah. Because it seems like a lot of situations, okay, so, you know, like talking to Ben and hearing what, um, you know, challenges the Peace Corps has occasionally. And like, it's been, it's been done many times where people want to like help and create a solution to whatever problem. And they just come in, they're like, cool, we're going to throw some money around and we're going to do this and it's going to help and we're going to, you know be like these saviors of the situation. Um, but a lot of times that doesn't take into account all the little nuances to various situations. 
and um and it's not actually like asking those questions up front and listening to the answers right exactly like you're not you're not asking the questions that get you to the to the to the need the solution so you can incorporate the principle the proper principles into the solution because that's the problem a lot of times like when you look at the principles the principles all are based upon extraction and marginalizing the solution like it, it gets watered down because that voice isn't amplified or galvanized okay yep um i feel like the homelessness problem in our country is probably like one of the best examples of a wicked problem that you could come up with yes it's like so dynamic and complex and draws on so many different situations and uh like root there's so many root problems to that one problem welcome to wicked problems (laughs) (laughs) that's a wicked that's a wicked problem yeah yeah and it'll take some like serious um seriously creative solutions and uh yeah i mean like some of the the problems i feel like yeah you talked about like solutions to problems being like looking back and seeing like what needs to be like healed um what are your thoughts on like healing major problems um you know, like inequity, like, like all sorts of these like giant wicked problems. How do we go about healing? Well, actually, okay. Healing. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, healing actually starts with actually wanting to listen to the truth and then being accountable for that truth. And a lot of times, you know, we haven't been taught what the truth is. We, we, we have not been taught the historical elements of why our society is the way it is a lot of us have been spoon fed that this is just how it is and this race is more superior than the other ones like we don't really like we want to pray racism out no we can't pray it It ain't going like we could do that but we got to do other things too to actually like tell the truth so people can actually go through the healing process itself and for me, I think that's the major reason why I am a designer is because the tools that I create, like even the tools that I use when I'm facilitating the design process, I make sure that they're healing to people. Like even when I'm using tools to bring out the design values or if I'm calling out issues, um, I take them through a very healing process and they're kind of like, wait a minute. Is this therapy? I say, yeah, I mean, it see, it's going to seem like it, <laughs> but it's not. I'm just giving you a tool that you need to use as well because the other tools don't work. Yeah, especially without the healing element. Yeah, like and like, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, like healing is very personal. Even though a lot of times we do it in group settings, but there's tools and technologies that can be used to like bridge the gaps in these spaces um, instead of breaking. Cause a lot of times the tools that we use within business and within society and social structures, they're there. They cause a lot of breaking to individuals, the ecosystem 
um, to the ocean, to the air, to everything, it breaks. It causes a deep harm and pain. And so one of my specialties is like, I like to create and make tools that like assist in the healing process. Nice. Yeah, that are win-win-win situations for everybody involved. Yes, yes. Like, but a lot of people, like, you know, some people, they take a minute, which is fine. But then those who, like, are looking for it and seeking it, they know right away what I'm doing. They were like, can you share this with some people? You know, they were like, can you do this with us? And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, like, they know it they see the gap and they're like, oh my God, can we recreate this? Can we redo that? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna give you the tools and I'm gonna teach you how to use it. <laughs> nice, nice. Do you, do you have a team that you work with? Are you like, uh, how, do we, how do we multiply you out there in the world? <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, there's one to 10,000 of me. Like if you see one, one of me, you see 10,000. They probably all over the place. We just yeah. don't, you know, we don't see it a lot. But yeah, like typically when I'm making and I'm building and I'm crafting something, I never do it in a, you know, in a silo. Yeah. I might come on without the idea and then I'll make something and I'll be like, hey, can I get some ideas? You know, like, can y'all try this out with me? I won't, can you try it out alone or can we try it out in the space? And they be like, yeah, Kisa. And so then we build something that could be useful for their organization or their personal use as a consultant and they're able to use it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm happy because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It is like a, it, it's like an art that is selfless. Like you said earlier, it's like you're, you're doing it and you, you get value out of it. You feel, you know, you get people telling you how much it affects them occasionally, you know, and, um, but you're not you're not doing it for like the overall credit which is you know like some art is like geared towards getting credit for oneself or like you know the artist is is a main element and then some art the art the artist is sort of like behind the scenes and you're more on that end of it i cannot be ego driven yeah. <laughs> at all I don't know if I would get value out of it like I don't know maybe I could but and at this point there's a little bit of technical difficulties the internet was kind of acting weird but um here Kisa goes into a whole section about an idea this like concept that she has for um what to do in terms of like a digital approach to everything so here we go. Because I do see the value of actually touching things sometimes to ground yourself, you know, even with the land. But I'm also going to do a digital version where I'm just going to give it out. And like, hey, if you need help with consulting, you know, just like using it, hit me up. But here's the schematics of it. And you can use it, you know, in your, in your own facilitation when you're facilitating the design process. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put that out like, it's things that I like I like to make. I don't put it out a lot real that quick. If I put it out, I'm just saying like, hey, this is a prototype, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> y'all can you could download it. I'm only letting so many downloads happen. Yeah. You know, and give me some feedback. 
and I and I do. I get a lot of fever. They were like, Keisha, what about this? I'm like, oh, really? I said, what did you do? And I said, how did you do it? It's like, we all have conversations. But they were like, oh, I like this tool, you know. And so now I'm creating, like, with the Center for Regional Food Systems, I'm creating, like, this issue deck um, where, you know, people can actually talk about their personal issues with this deck, and then they can map it on this map of, like, how organization is moving because nobody ever wants to talk about, you know, people's personal issues that they bring to projects. Uh, it's time that we do, because a lot of it has a lot to do with their personal uh, <laughs> their personal gain up in here. It ain't just always group thing, you know? And it calls it out. It's, it, it's different. And how do you map it? It's kind of like a different experience. And I see that it was a need for that to create the breaking instead of like the group thing. So I'm going to put that out. And, you know, it's other tools that I'm working on, like, you know, with uh, University of Michigan uh, Impact Studio, I'm creating an equitable prototyping process with questions. I'm going to share that out because, like, this is how we should be moving when it comes to systematic design. Yeah, and you're, um, it's cool, you're, like, crowdsourcing solutions and testing. I'm t- Like, if you were to just keep it to yourself and then do all the testing on your end, um, then your like sample size for all of your, your testing would be so much smaller. Whereas like you can put it out there, share it out and then everybody runs things and then they're like, you know, giving you the feedback and data. It's cool. You're like doing, you're like design as well as like running science experiments. Uh Right. And, 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 And here's the funny thing, like, they take, people take ownership in the process. Like, it's not just me pushing the process because it shouldn't be. It can't be. Not if it's going to change and make, like, movement towards change. It can't just be about you. It has to be about the people who are participating in the system and that has been harmed and they want to see some change. So you have to use different tools. Yeah, and I mean, about it not being about you, like, you you have told us and you you obviously think this way that where like you're you're working on behalf of your ancestors the people that came before you and then also the future generations like I feel like just asking the question like am I being the best uh ancestor that I can be you know like that that really gears everything towards like a way more um sustainable mindset and uh it's really cool. Thanks. Thanks. It's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Kisa. Thanks for being on the show. I, I, like, I, like I said, like, I love what you're doing. I think it's awesome. And I like it. It's as an artist, it's really neat to think about um, somebody working creatively in like a whole different framework um on a different level on a bigger level and i really want my art to um help change society and um humans and culture and the world for the better and your work is doing that literally oh thank you so yeah let everybody know like i mean follow me on linkedin hit me up because I'll put something out and be like, hey, I'm looking for people who want to test. Here's the site. Like, let me know what you think. You know, I'll try to put it out to certain set people, you know, to get feedback. And I, I like 
I don't know. I just like the interdependence and being like they want to push that all like you should be independent when you turn 18 and but that's not really how the world works let's be honest here you know like that's not how it works you know even in your adulthood you still need parenting along the way it's just like the parenting looks different right (laughs) you're not here like nobody should feel like they're here alone yeah and I, I I don't feel like I'm alone, so I don't want anybody else to feel like they're not, you know, they're alone. Yeah, and by dispelling that that idea from the beginning, um, you know, it, it just like allows you, it frees you up to think differently and to like accept help and be willing to give out help and just be like way more um, connected to be like part of a a web rather than thinking that we're just an island. Yeah, because shoot, even the worms know it's not an island. You know, no. <laughs> they get they get their nutrients from certain organizations, you know, organisms, and uh, you know, they get it from the dirt and the soil and the rain and you know whatever goes into it. Like that's that's again, like like you said, that's a dispelled myth that needs to be taught to a lot of us, like real early on, that like what we do can cause harm to other people, like whatever we make how you know whatever we're giving um decisions into can cause harm to other people yeah yeah the the more i'm hearing so i just finished this book called the over story um and it talks a lot about like trees and plants and soil and everything and the, the more i hear about it the more uh i'm learning and it seems like the more humans are learning and maybe humans have already known this in a lot of cultures like you're talking about, I'm sure. But like the scientific world is probably just catching up in that like everything is connected. You've got like the trees and the plants and the mycelium and the water system and the air and the oceans and, and just like everything, the animals, uh, everything's completely connected. Right. Like here's an example, like... um you know, like the body washes that people buy, the scrubs. Yeah. And and they feel so good on, you know, the scrubs and stuff like that. But yeah. what people don't know is that, you know, the, those pellets that's in the scrubs, those little mini pellets shows up in fishery life and, you know, the seagulls. Like, like those pellets don't, like, they go down the drain, but they don't dissolve. Yeah. They run off our bodies because, and it feels good. You think you're scrubbing your body, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's feeling good. It's feeling great, but no, they don't. They're not biodegradable. Right. They, they get caught up in stuff, and it's a whole bunch of that stuff out. Like that's the problem they have with the fish and stuff. Of like all the stuff that's inside. Like we can't even eat fish right properly anymore. Right. Because design how it's set up from an industrial perspective um taught us just to you know extract and produce extract and produce consume 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 yeah <laughs> and not asking questions and the designer is not asking the proper questions about like well who is this gonna harm who is this for like just simple like simple equity questions that you know 
could change the trajectory of a lot of things. Right. Because the main focus is not equity. The main focus is profit margins and making sure that the business brings in money. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We got to change things. That's for sure. The world, like the world depends on it. We do. Everything depends on it. Yeah. It, it depends on how we choose to wake up every day and what we choose to enter ourselves in when we're making these design decisions, design decisions, because design of the living, like it's your design, how you wake up every day. You designing that. You're making these choices. You're asking your questions. And the same thing when you're going into these organizations or these businesses that you're seeking to serve, you're making the same choices too. So let's yeah. just design a better life. Let's just redesign. Let's just redesign it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's all be redesigners. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it happens like one decision at a time. Every single decision we make. Yes, until it starts compounding. You just like, oh, I'm making the same. Oh, you start seeing change. Right. Over time, you start seeing the change that you want. Not only in yourself, but you start seeing it in your environment. Right. Cool. All right. Well, Kisa, anything else you want to tell the people? Mm-hmm. Be you, love you. We're all interdependent. Be the best designer you could be where you're sitting at the table or you're making your own table, whether you're growing your own things or you're talking to your children, you're talking to your mother or your sibling. We make all these conscious decisions for ourselves and let's just be the best ancestors we can be while we're here. Love it. <laughs> That's great. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Kisa. Bye. You take care, Taylor. Yeah. Cheers. And that was my conversation with Kisa Johnson. Um, that was awesome. I was looking forward to having her on um, ever since I listened to her interview on Tetuat with Benjamin Morse. Ben's a good buddy of mine. He's uh He's wicked smart and he has wicked smart people on his podcast and uh yeah they they're doing really cool things ben's podcast is uh geared around travel and uh everything that he learned in the peace corps and all the high level stuff that they're into you know saving the world and that sort of stuff so um yeah i thought i'd dive into that a little bit bring kisa on here show a spotlight on what she's doing because it's awesome it's like major um change making and that's what the world needs in my opinion we need to change the world for the better um yeah it's cool talking about equity and uh equality and the way that you know solutions can be handled and managed and um yeah, the way that creativity works in it. I like how Kisa's working, like, I like the format and the the structure to these solutions, how there's like pilot 
programs and then um, AABC testing and then rolling out of these programs and um, and then also how it it all ties back to like deeper more ancient wisdom yeah that's really cool because like the solutions are all here and really really what that means is that we've just been doing things wrong as a society and a culture and um you know like there are positive elements a lot of positive elements to capitalism in that there's you know like there's upward mobility possible in ways there's um you know there's like the build yourself up from the bootstraps concept but there's also tons of structural uh things in the way and it's not yes there's upward mobility possible but it's a lot harder for different groups of people and it's a lot easier for certain groups of people there's entitlement and um you know that sort of a thing there's just so much structural shit that is like in the way of progress and like Hisa said the first way uh first step in healing is acknowledgement of the situation and um you know denial is is like the major element in the way of any sort of progress so yeah i wanted to have kisa on and talk about talk about these things and further that conversation um yeah and it's also cool how creativity and design um can be thought of differently like it's not i mean for in her world it's it's more abstract it's like higher level um like structural societal uh designing you know like the word design it can be applied in a lot of different ways and like she said at first we think of like visual or like sculptural or whatever um that type of designing but designing really when you zoom out it's like it's crafting a concept and uh that concept can take lots of different forms so i'll bet you're a designer as well and and yeah we're all just designing <laughs> yeah i don't know what i was gonna say on that one you're a designer do your thing design yeah again the intention of this podcast is to inspire the creativity and the designer in you um and to bridge gaps between different camps and different fields and different groups of people and uh really to show that we're all very much more connected than we realize so hope this podcast episode did that for you and uh yeah keep on crushing in your world whatever you're doing wherever you're at go 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 keep going cheers <laughs>